Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello everyone, welcome to week two of the season, episode two of, of The Ruck, your podcast from the Times, the Sunday Times. We're back in the studio, which is a blessed relief, or at least I am, Alex Lowe. I'm joined by Owen Slot, Chief Rugby Correspondent of the Times. Hello, mate. Still. Easy. <laughs> You're going to usurp me soon, I can tell. <laughs> uh, Alan Dimmock, Features edit- Editor from Rugby World. And down the line this week is Stephen Jones, because... Have you run out of petrol? I didn't run out of petrol. I had to ferry around people who had run out of petrol. And now I've still you... got loads of petrol. Oh, you've still got loads of petrol? available to anyone. Is it? How much have you got? i got half a tank. And do you have a siphon where we can all come and queue up outside your house? <laughs> I've got half a tank, but no one else in the whole of Berkshire has got any. <laughs> um, how, how are we all? How was your rugby weekend? Wonderful for me. I, I saw a game... Um, in which I saw two players I'd never seen before play gloriously at, at, at Wasps. Um, Mr. Crossdale at fullback was was sensational and um, a really good game. Uh, yesterday, um, <clears throat> the team I coached, Maidenhead Iron Maidens, had their first ever contact rugby match where we won a great game against High Wycombe. So I, did, I had an excellent weekend. Thank you. I think the Iron Maidens is my favourite uh, rugby team name. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Slossy, where did you go? Um, I went uh, yesterday, uh, my first trip to the new Brentford Stadium to see London Irish. And um, that was, a, that was I was watching it thinking, this is the sort of game that Jonesy would be really complaining about. Because like the first <laughs> 60 minutes, there were loads of tries at both ends. And it was like um, some sort of meaningless entertainment. But uh, the, the, the last 20 minutes, it just it, there was a crescendo to a, sort of a, a brilliant finish. Uh, the game finished on 31 all. Uh, Paddy Jackson had a 56 meter penalty to try and win it with the last kick of the game. You know, drama, edge of your seat. So it was brilliant. Um, I just, I think that's a great stadium. And uh, there were six and a bit thousand crowd there yesterday. I really just hope by the end of the season there's 10,000, 15,000 because it's going to be great at that place. I, I know why Slotty thinks it's great. 
because I was at that game as well yesterday and he cycled up because it's so close to his house that's why he thinks it's fantastic he let the chauffeur chauffeur have the afternoon off and he cycled in himself I did actually lock my bike up like one metre from the front door the bike rack one metre from the front door it's brilliant so yeah Al's got me there completely I do agree though it was I was a bit worried it was my first time at the the Brentford Community Stadium they need to come up with a better name than that as well it just doesn't roll off the tongue but uh, we can get there Coventry Building Society Stadium is the other one. I think they need to. Yeah. Oh, well, I, what, what's CBS? the name of the of Welford Road? There's something Ma- I can't. Mattioli Woods, Welford Road. Yeah. I, I was saying catchy. yesterday, Cinch <laughs> at the Franklin's Gardens oh, yeah. sounds like a resident band, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 They've done the same the, on the screen next door, the American football's on, and Kansas City Chiefs have. They couldn't bring themselves to rename the stadium, so the, the field has a sponsor, a bit like at, at Franklin's Gardens. They basically name. Sponsor the field, but keep the stadium name the same. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, so it's like the Cinch Field at Welford, uh, Franklin's Gardens, yeah. isn't it? Something like that. The Coventry Building Society, incidentally, is a great name um, because their public relations people came round the media benches giving us cakes. So I think that I think it's a brilliant name. I'm prepared to say it in full every time I go there. <laughs> well, Steve, we've we've carved out a special section to discuss the North London Derby, but we'll do that after um, we're joined by Christoph Ridley, one of the leading uh, referees from the RFU, who's going to just talk us through the new laws, how he sees them from from being the man in the middle, um, and and just just the picture of the game from from a referee's perspective. So, Christoph, thank you for joining us. Uh, we thought a couple of rounds into the, the Premiership, it'd be a great chance to to just refresh people on on the new laws, to, to and to talk to to the man in the middle about how how they're sort of going, how the how the teams are reacting to them, and and how the referees are reacting to them. What do you? So, uh, what, what, what's your experience been so far? Um, so, the, the first thing I've noticed really is that actually we haven't seen that many. So last week, I believe we only had two 50-22s and, and one goal line dropout. Um, and then obviously we have the changes around the latcher also, which we'll see in some, some games uh, and others. But I'm surprised how, how little we've seen of it. So even going into my third game this weekend, I've only seen it myself twice. So we're, we're still learning from our end and still waiting to see what the game's going to look like or whether or not they are going to make a difference. But um, in answer to your question, we just haven't seen them as much as we probably thought, we all probably thought we would. Christopher, I, I agree that I've, I've seen one fifty twenty two, which I think was uh, was a, a by mistake. It was a kick ahead by Lewis Liner when, in the Newcastle game. Um, so so it, two things. One, it's clear that kicking a fifty twenty two is is quite a skill, a hard skill. But two, do you, do you, even if we haven't seen them, it doesn't really matter that much because the point of them was to try and um, get defences to uh, to sit back a bit more to to defend that. So do you, do you think think that you've seen a different type of game just because of, because that law's been made? Well, what I what I do know is that the weekend of games we just had were on the whole fantastic games. Um, they a lot of them were close. Teams were coming back. There were lots of line break tries. You only have to look at the last two weeks. Um, uh, try montages put out by Prem Rugby to see how good tries are being scored. And I think one of those reasons is for exactly the, the point you just made, which is players might be dropping out of the defensive line to cover those 50-22 threats. And as a result, there's more gaps for players to run into. So 
if you if we think about why these new laws came into play, it's it's about the the game constantly evolving to become a better product, more enjoyable to play and watch. Th- th- those of us who um, who were on the, the the pod and writing in the paper pre-season were speculating that that ending the pre-latch would impact Exeter more than anyone because of the way that they play and that controlling style. They're not from two. You you were re- refereeing their game at the weekend. Have you noticed? Or, or were you were you kind of did you have your eyes on on Exeter in particular and how they would adapt to that particular law change that that, that no longer are you allowed to to form sort of uh, pods of three before you, before you receive the ball? Um, look, we we every single team in the Premiership latches. Um, we have we haven't considered one how it's going to affect one team more than another, um, but we knew it would definitely change uh, the way some teams play, especially teams that like to use that as one of their sort of um, dominant strategies. Have I noticed that? I don't think we've had enough games yet to get a fair sample. We haven't got all our players back from the lines yet. Um, So, of course, we're going to see games with outcomes slightly different to what they might be in three, four weeks from now. I I just don't know. Um, So whether or not there's there's a clear link between teams, how teams are performing now and the law changes or whether their teams are overperforming or underperforming depending on what players they have available. I'm just not sure. It's probably a conversation we can have in three, four weeks' time when we've seen these um, new laws play out a little bit more and and then we'll know whether teams are being impacted directly by the changes. So you're going to come back regularly then, are you, every three or four weeks? Oh, I'd love to do that. <laughs> uh, Christoph, how have you found adapting to the to these uh, law adaptions yourself? And has it changed the review process at all? How, how are the referees talking about it amongst themselves? So j- just to go back a tiny bit from that, I think the fact that as a game, we're constantly trying to evolve by bringing in changes, trialling things, whether it's here or in the Southern Hemisphere, I think that's a good thing. I think we need to do that. We can't just be a sport that stands still and accepts that maybe the game is is really good now. So let's just keep it as it is. I think we should constantly look to evolve to create a better game to play and watch. So that that's my first point on that. Um, in terms of it being difficult, of, of course it is, because as a referee, you, you don't get to go training and play a training game with other referees. So really our training happens match day to match day. Of course we can watch and review and go train in the gym and go for a run, but actually seeing live Premiership rugby speed, um, and and in terms of practicing, we we don't really get an opportunity until we're there um, in the moment. And so the new laws come into place, and like the players who may have practiced them in training, uh, we haven't done that. So um, although we've got an idea in our head what it may have looked like, when I turned up to my Premiership game last week, it, I hadn't refereed the new laws yet. And then I had my premiership game this week. And for the first time, I refereed two goal line dropouts. Um, so that's the challenge we have. You, you would know the, the law book inside out. Something that Steve Hansen has said repeatedly is that there are too many laws. Um, and we're now trialling some new ones. It, does rugby need to move towards a more simplified law book? Or is that actually not really possible because of, of the way that the game's played? Um, I, I Look, uh, it's... If there's lots of big words, uh, it's difficult for people to understand. But I do think the law books got simpler. Um, I think it's easier to read now than it has been in the past. 
Um, in terms of laws changing, like I said before, I don't see it as the game changing. I just see it as the game evolving, the game trying to get better, trying to get faster, trying to see more of what we want to see. Um, those end-to-end field tries, open space to run into. So I, I, I just see it as a positive movement for the laws. Jack Willis wrote in his column in, in the Times on Saturday about you going into the Wasps camp in the summer and and getting a, a grilling from him, particularly over the the new law about targeting lower limbs in the ruck. And, and his his argument, uh, as he wrote it, was that actually he felt it'd be really difficult for a referee to understand what is allowed and what isn't allowed. He felt that that law hadn't gone far enough coming from a player who's going to miss 10, 12 months of his career having been injured in a in, in a ruck uh, clear out like that. Um, can you take us into that room? Do you, did you understand his, his frustration? And he said he had to apologise to you afterwards because he'd gone a little bit over the top. So I wouldn't describe it as a grilling. He was emotional and we had a what I would call a courageous conversation. Um, but this is the reason why it's so important. We have those relationships with clubs and we spend time with them away from match day because it gives us that chance to collaborate. So I think that was a really important conversation, not not just for Jack to get some answers that, that maybe he needed in order to get some form of closure from something that was extremely disappointing for him, but it's great learning for me. It's great talking to coaches and getting a better understanding of um, what they're trying to achieve, how they see the game developing, how they see the new law changes um, coming into play once the games actually start. So y- yes, that conversation with Jack happened, um, but but it was it it was appropriate, and I, I thought it was a good thing to discuss it with him. And look, I, I'm an I'm I also am an England fan. So when I saw that happen, I was disappointed. Um, I was disappointed like every other England fan was. Um, it just so happens that I then have had that conversation with Jack and Jack is one of rugby's good guys. Um, he's a guy that I enjoy talking to. Christoph, the, the RFU have um, announced in the last couple of weeks, uh, I think they call it pitch up and play, a real campaign to make sure that the lapsed players, players who haven't had a chance to to take to a rugby field for the best part of two years, for obvious reasons, are, are attracted back to the game, back to their local clubs um, to, to, to keep that the community game strong. What's what's the situation with with referees? Because you might as well you, you can have thirty players out on the field playing the game, but if you haven't got the man or woman in the middle, you're you're going to struggle. What's the what's the situation in terms of attracting referees back to the game? How do you keep them involved? Uh, look, for me, it was an opportunity after getting injured and not being able to play. You then have a choice: you either walk away from the game, which is the worst case scenario, or you stay involved. And it just so happened that refereeing I realized was an opportunity as well as coaching or whatever else it is you want to do and I think that's what a lot of people don't consider is the fact that if you don't play and you don't coach you don't have to walk away there's a third option and that that might be refereeing and if you're interested in doing that um, the information is there you go to englandrugby.com slash participation there are there is lots of information on there about how you can get involved there's tons of courses running up and down the country in October and November and and now it now should be a sort of inspiring time for all referees not just you know not just young boys but young girls as well you know Sarah Cox 
refereed made her debut in the Premiership at the weekend. And as far as I'm concerned, it, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. If you're good enough, you deserve to be there. And that is exactly what Sarah Cox showed at the weekend. Um, she's a bloody good referee um, and she should be refereeing in the Premiership. And that's exactly what she's done now. And she will continue to do for many, many years. I, but just before we started this conversation, I was chatting to the others about standing on the touchline of, of my son's football match this weekend and um, comments that, that get made to the referees. What's it like coming through the grassroots game in rugby? Why would a referee want to put themselves in the middle and potentially face criticism from from coaches and, and parents um, just just for the for the fun of it? If, even if you're not not being paid for it, it's not a not a career. What, what's the What's the, what's the appeal for, for a new referee to, to go and do that? Um, so let's start firstly with the majority and um, 99% of the time, and certainly from my experience, the, these aren't, you, we aren't having negative experiences week to week. Um, not, mo- almost all of my experiences coming through the grassroots were positive. Of course, you will get the odd person um, who, who, who will throw some fire. And, and I think that does slightly come with the territory of what we do um, because you're making decisions and some of them won't go against your, will, will go against your team and won't go. Uh, and sometimes they will go for your team. Um, all I would say from, from our perspective, especially at our level, that the, the RFU will deal, if there is abuse, the RFU stance is there is no place for abuse. Um, it's as simple as that. And if it's brought to their attention, they will deal with it. Christoph, I'd just like to, on the same subject, I I was with, um, uh, I spoke at length to a a referee who shall be nameless uh, the other day, but he he originated in the Forest of Dean. And um, (laughs) he's uh, absolutely brilliant, as are you and others, at conversing with with players as the game's going on, even if as the ball is in play. Um, which is an art form, but I, 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 my point is, I strongly believe that you guys who are so bloody good at it are making a rod for the backs of people who are not, because then I think it increases the level of chat and back chat and demands for explanations down, down through the other levels. And it's completely unwitting on your part, but I just wondered if you saw a danger that everyone now wants to, during play, in the thirds and fourths and Colts games, wants an explanation from the poor bloke who's trying to referee the game. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's always going to be a danger, isn't it, where you, you end up luring people in to have more conversations because you're, you're opening up those conversations yourself. Um, look, if you, as far as I'm concerned, if you make good decisions, uh, people, work, people shouldn't challenge you. So the first thing we do is be accurate. If you're right... Um, then that that instantly will stop people challenging you or it should in the first instance. Um, the second point around chat is we shouldn't talk for the sake of talking. When we, when we say something in a game, it should be, be for a reason. It's a bit like when we blow the whistle. We're only blowing a whistle to add value to the game. Yeah. We're only talking to add value. And if I'm speaking just to be heard um, or speaking for the sake of it, then when I review my game, I will say on my notes, I should not have said anything here. What's the point in speaking here? Every time I say something, it should add purpose to the game. Um, it's a fair point, though, and it's something that is often raised. Christoph, thank you so much for joining us. Will you will you come back and talk to us in, in a few weeks' time as, as your journey through these new laws 
goes on and, and you experience more and, and, and can give us some insight from, from on the field. It'd be of great course, to... Of course, I'd love to. Magnificent. Listen, Christoph Ridley, thank you very much for, for joining us on The Ruck today. Thank you very Thanks, much. Christoph. Thanks a million, Christoph. Thank you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Top man Christoph Ridley, that was great. We'll, we'll have him uh, back and we'll hold him to his promise and have him on through the season, giving us some insight into the new law trials and how they're playing out from a referee's perspective, but also his his perspective on a season that has started in a way not many of us would have predicted with Exeter Chiefs and Bristol Bears, both not from two. Um, I think we should probably start with Bristol. I mean, if you were those two teams, who would you who who do you think should be more worried? Because I, I know who I think should be more worried by some distance. I think Bristol should be more worried, yeah. don't you? So Bristol have got Semi Randranger to come back, which is a you know a clear plus. But apart from that, most of their players are available, aren't they? Carl Sinclair as the well. Tight heads aren't available, are yeah. they? Afoa yeah. and Sinclair. And is the loss of John Afoa so catastrophic that that changes the complete dynamic of the way the team plays? Because it just seems like. Their identity they're clinging to, and this is a similar thing for Exeter actually with all the players that they're missing in their front five as well, is that they're clinging to an identity but they don't seem to be getting there. And for for Bristol, Slotty, do you think that missing a couple of players is so catastrophic to the way that team's held together that they've just not put in performances for two weeks? I think I think um uh Ranger Andrew does bring a fear factor to other teams. They you know, he, he is a, a is a, the most dynamic player in the premiership, in my opinion. 
Um, so I think that that makes a change. Uh, I mean, the, the real the real other changes are loss of Ben Earl and Max Malins and um, Cialo Piatau, who was their defensive leader. So th- those are th- things that have changed. Um, but but the point is, with what they've got now, I don't. They've got Rendrendra and, and some two tight heads to come back. But I don't feel there's there's a. It's not like the, the whole cavalry sort of uh, just wait, waiting to, to come back. Whereas XG feel that there's there's a lot of resource that's um, that's mm. going to be available to them soon. I think that actually that's that. Um, Al is very um, <clears throat> very interesting to bring up John Afoa because he he may be now ancient by any standards, but I think as Al says, he does dictate so much of their of their outer face and, and the way they play. He's he's probably playing better now than he ever did when he was an all black. And I think they do miss. I mean, when you miss the two tight heads in the modern game, even though where there's there's so few scrums, um, it, it it does have a huge effect. Madrada too. I think the problem is, and I was there at um, the Coventry Building Society Stadium on on Saturday. <laughs> they they I think that they've tried to just tickle the way they play a bit. Probably stung by what happened to them against uh, against uh, Harlequins last year in the semi final. And I and I think that they don't quite know what they're doing. They don't know whether to be Bristol as we know and love them, or they don't know whether to rein themselves in completely because. When they were they were well out of the game before they started to play as recognisably Bristol, and I think that um, I think they'll be mid-table minimum, maybe higher, which is actually a failure for them. But I think the team that they wanted to represent them and to solidify them in the top division is is coming to an end, and they'll need to to, to rebuild it. But I I don't think there's any panic stations, and when the two tight head props come back. I think they'll win all their home games and, and a few away. I think that Harlequins game derailed them mentally uh, uh, in a big way, Alex. And I think that's what they're struggling with. They don't quite know how to reset themselves after that. Well, Steve, so you, you were at that that game. I mean, it, it, that sort of, sort of uh, age-old question, was it, that, was it that Bristol were disappointing or conversely, how good were Wasps? That is the age-old question. And actually... Um, was were absolutely excellent, um, and and let's be fair. Um, you know when when the match was uh, was tight, uh, was were unbelievably um, passionate and and tough and hard. When they're not not actually on paper, they don't look that hard a team without without Willis and uh, and Joe Launchbury etc. But they they really gave it everything, and in a way they wanted it more. So I, I I'd say, and I, I may be giving uh, Bristol a get-out year, I think it was more to do with Wasps being substantially better than anyone expected. Because, I mean, Wasps have got more players out than anyone. And my goodness, they were superb. But also, they did it through uh, flashes of, of genius um, from um, Crossdale, Ali Crossdale at fullback and uh, the brilliance of Dan Robson, absolute brilliance of Dan Robson. So, in many ways, it was old-fashioned in that individuals took a really big, um, had a real big say in the game. It wasn't just the eternal collective. Uh, last week was the first time, this is a stat from Stuart Farmer, our, our friend, at the Premiership statistician, um, who said that last week was the first time Leicester had been top of the Premiership since 2011. Um, and they're still top, having overhauled Gloucester, held off Gloucester about three different times in that game. Yeah, and the thing the thing about Leicester as well at the moment is, for example, did 
you know, they scored more driving mall tries than anyone else in the entire division last season. But this, look at this team now, and you look at the identity. I'm, I've mentioned identity a few times because I think it's a, a fascinating subplot for for this whole season and the, and the changes that are who clings to what they what they've always been traditionally who throws the baby out with the bathwater. But Leicester Tigers, you look at the the DNA of that squad at the moment, and the young guys that are coming through are unbelievable. I mean, Tommy Rafael is fantastic the way that he plays mm. on on the flank, but. Dolly's coming through. We we know that Van Portfleet is the the coming man at scrum half, and there's there's some scratching of heads about how he didn't make it into the England squad. But considering who he's up against and Youngs as as uh, for that starting position, there's just something that's it feels like they've they've caught something with a with a group of youngsters at that Leicester team, and they're playing with real confidence. And it's funny you look at the teams that we talked about earlier who are slightly disappointing because because of where they've come from and what we expected them. How much a part is confidence playing, and how much is it just going go out and play, lads? Because it's it's exciting to watch, and it's it's something that if you're a, a diehard of Leicester, you've been you've been through some rough patches in the last couple of years, pining for the times of old when really actually the grass might actually be a bit greener. I think so. Just but just just on the development of that new generation, one of the things that I think is interesting about this is these kids have come have, have come up been coming through while Exeter have been struggling. And and it's much easier to bring through a new generation when there's a successful team around them to f- to find their way in- into it, which is one of the reasons why I think Saracens have been able to perpetuate sort of one generation after the next, and we sort of kind of feel that Saracens got another group coming through at, at the moment. Um, so that that's one thing that I think is particularly impressive about Leicester is is these kids have sort of probably been looking around the last couple of seasons, going, "Christ, this is you know we're all we're all in trouble over here because the coach keeps on getting sacked mm-hmm. every season, the management can't work out what to do, and and, and and where are we going?" But they the whole thing's come together without that sort of winning structure around them. This weekend saw the first round of the new United Rugby Championship. Um, so, so you wrote about that at the weekend. And the thing that, that struck me from your piece you know, was there's a new competition with fewer matches, which is probably the first time in you know in this kind of great expansionist era of rugby that anyone's got actually less less is more quality yeah, over quantity. It's never gonna catch on, is it? It's probably not. But what did you what what did you make of that whole vision, Rock Nation's involvement, the the revolution of that competition? Well, I think it, I think in 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 theory, the, 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 the brochure looks great. If you like, you know, it, you know, I'd buy a holiday to that place any day. Um, but but you know, we're get, we're yet to find out if you sort of get there and and <laughs> can I ca- carry on this holiday metaphor now? Yeah, how far it. are you going <laughs> to take? <this? laughs> There's no End of holiday the metaphor. No, I, I mean the, the results over the first weekend were you know. A shame in in that the exciting new South Africans all were all apart from the was it the Lions that beat Benetton, um, mm. you know, uh, Leinster completely um, smashed the Bulls, which was the, the the most exciting matchup of the weekend. And we know that the South African teams uh, are weakened because um, the rugby calendar is so completely bloody stupid that the Springboks are off playing so South Africans aren't at full force. So you know, ifs and buts and maybe. So I just hope it. I hope it'll. Um, uh, it'll change, which it, which it, which it has to, and it will a bit. Um, and I hope their their plans for um, you know I was excited about their ideas to market rugby, which no one really has done for the last decade, really that we've noticed. Particularly, is it? I mean, that was a great mm. idea. Let's make it exciting for everyone. 
Um, no, I, I, I think there's the best potential there. But if the if the rugby's if the rugby's not good, if Leinster win hands down again, then we we haven't really seen any change. Only only rugby marketing could start a major new competition and very unwieldy involving South African teams for the first time on the day that South Africa play New Zealand. <laughs> for the start, hundredth time. The famous it's start raving game. lunacy. I do think, and I watched a few of the games or as much as I can, that there was an extra bite in the games which actually would have taken place anyway under the old systems. You know, you know like I watched Newport and Ospreys and Cardiff Connaught seemed to have some bite in it. And I think that, you know, it, it, it had a certain freshness there but the whole thing, it only it depends on whether in the long away trips, people feel the side. Will Johnny Sexton play when they go down to South Africa? Will the great South African players come up with, 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 with the team? If they, you know, up to our country, our countries rather. And if they don't, it invalidates the competition and, and, and makes it a waste of time. And if South Africa... Look, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry about player welfare, but if South Africa come up and don't bring their full sides, well, they don't deserve to go forward into the European Cup. So that's the, that, that it is so unwieldy. You wish it the best, and there were a few promising signs, but they've got it all to do to establish the event. That's the great selling point of this new competition, isn't it? We've been promised that it won't... Now, obviously, it's already infringing on the, the Rugby Championship, so it's infringing on the test calendar uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. In the Northern Hemisphere, the great promise is that it, there's not going to be any overlap, so you should, in theory, have your Sextons et al. playing for, for Leinster. Now, Leinster, obviously, are the strongest team in the competition. They're a test side, let's be honest, and they can afford to experiment against uh, a team like the Bulls, who are the reigning Curry Cup champions. They can afford to say, by the way, we're going to let Keane Healy come off the bench at tighthead for the first time in his career and see how he goes. <laughs> we're going to let Porter play at loose head for the first time in years and see how he goes. But th- that, as Steve's right, that is what the competition needs. It needs their star turns to turn up. The other great promise that they've got is that it will be more regional. So it's interesting to hear Steve say that there seems a bit of bite in the, the games that already were existing in the whatever iteration we've just had, the Pro 39,000 or whatever it was. Um, the, the the setup, we're told, is that... It, or the setup, and in fact, Mark Palmer of the, the Sunday Times Scotland wrote a great piece detailing exactly how it all pans out, um, if you can find that somewhere. But he, um, the way it works is that there will be regional shields which is effectively, effectively going back to the old tradition of all the, the sides from the same country will play each other home and away, and then they'll play everyone else once, home or away. So fewer games, more competition, we're told, with, with and that will see the, the test stars. Steve's right. We need to see those big names. And, OK, Leinster can chuck out their third-choice team. But if we see teams uh, like Munster picking star names, and we saw RG Snyman playing for the first time, since it, since he was in a in a, a crazy um, fire pit accident, he needed a skin graft. He was playing at the weekend. We saw Gareth Anscombe play for the first time in two years, mm-hmm. uh, getting making his debut for the Ospreys. And what a time for him to come in with all the injuries that fly half for Wales as we rocket towards November. Hopefully, we're seeing these names more and more. And if they do, potentially they, they're going to have to market that, and then the entertainment value is going to have to come from that. What's the marketing plan, Slotty? And I mean we. In terms of product on the field, the Premiership has, has had all of it for the last two weeks. Um, but as we would often say, the marketing around it could could do some work. What can they learn from what what Rock Nation and and the URC plan? Well, I mean, we have to yet to see this put into 
into action. But but what Rock Nation say? Rock Nation are the this um, entertainment agency, are a partner of of the URC, and what they say is that they want to make heroes of rugby players. They want they want kids to know. They want want to make them cool. Um, and you you know anyone can say that, but but we know in the rugby media that that rugby players are so reluctant to step forward and sh- and show their personalities um, yeah yeah uh that that um uh, for for once i was listening to to agency what sounded like sort of agency speak claptrap or whatever going yes i completely agree with everything that you say and it's going to require quite a big um uh mindset change from all the clubs in the urc to go yeah we will put our players up not not necessarily for traditional media to do more interesting interviews, which hopefully they will do as well. But but I I, I think we're, they're going to you know it's it's a social media thing and how you know whatever whatever their social media presence is going to be, it's going to make them more exciting and um and and if they can drive that forward, then you might get the Gallagher Premiership clubs looking over their shoulder, going, oh yeah, it can be done, can't it? Coming up on the ruck, we're going to talk about England. Since we last spoke to you, Eddie Jones has named his first squad of the season, um, minus a few big names, and we will get to our god or goddess of the week. As we speak to you today, the England squad are in camp in Teddington. Um, it's We were told there's going to be one full-on training session, and a lot of it was was admin setting the, their stall out for, for the autumn campaign to come with games against Tonga, Australia and South Africa. That 45-man squad most notably did not feature uh, Mako Vunipola, Billy Vunipola, George Ford or Jamie George uh, and there, were all, there was also no place for Ben Earl or, or Jack Knoll, two pretty established England players and it was packed full of young, uh, exciting players, I think 10 of whom were capped in the summer uh, Stephen Owen, while you guys were in South Africa, uh, and then I think eight more uncapped players. Steve, you weren't very impressed, I don't think, with the number of <laughs> of young boys being brought through. Reading between um, the lines of Steve's column, <laughs> <laughs> I um, sense that as well. Yeah, it's you, you could have made it a bit more obvious, I think, Steve, <laughs> that you disapproved of of Eddie's squad. What just Well the National Lottery you mean. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line. I did like that line. What um just in short, what what did you disapprove? What do you disagree with about his selection here for a preliminary autumn squad? Well, but based on the on the numbers, he's now chosen 178 players, which is totally incoherent for a start. We don't want a load of youngsters. They can prove themselves elsewhere. We want hard-nosed players to win international matches, which England have forgotten to do. We want less chat about the World Cup, which is which is absolutely in the far distance, and more about winning a Grand Slam to get the, to get uh, Twickenham and, and the nation back with the team because the two are separate entities at the moment. As I said in the piece, I can never remember a time where the country is less enamoured or even out of contact with with the team. To, just to pick 45 people with another eight or seven or eight on the naughty step, uh, being treated like infants, uh, sucking lollipops, is also ridiculous. Let's keep this squad as an elite, not, not a catch-all. Let's, ha- let's have some decisions made, not, oh, we, I can't make up my mind, we better have all 45. Uh, and it's ridiculous. And for a one-day camp, they should never have bothered 
Steve, I, I disagree with, with quite a lot of, of, um, of the makeup of, of the squad and the way it's been done. But the thing about the, um, the, the kids is it, we had the same conversation when Eddie picked his squad to go to Argentina in 2017. Yet from that squad, we got Tom Curry and Sam Underhill, the best flankers in the World Cup, and also Joe Cocker, the singer, who was, uh, who was um, injured for the World Cup but could have been a, a game-breaker. Those, those three players... They they came through on 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 that. So if England had not gone to Argentina that year, those players would not have come through. Well, what I'm saying is, if if uh, if Eddie hadn't chanced his arm on players that hadn't really established themselves, but he thought had potential, then they wouldn't have come through. No, I think a more. But he, but he had to, he had to do that because the, the others weren't available. There was a Lions tour. No, he could. It, it's just on, the, on that tour. About, could, on that oh, Argentina tour, there were. They, they, I remember sitting there, and we, and we were going, "Oh, he should have picked Don Armand he, and 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 other established." There's there's a there was a tier of of players who we thought were the next in line, and he he he, he ignored them and brought through some younger kids who turned out. And he wasted he wasted a generation. Well, you could say that, but I wouldn't say he that Tom Curry and Sam Underhill would 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 be be uh, clarified uh, as a waste. This thing about oh, you see you see that the England under twenty team. Oh, all these players came through with the England of the 20s. All these players came through on this tour or that tour. Of course they did, because they were the best players. And, and they, they were always going to come through. Some, uh, someone going on a jaunt to Argentina to play a week Pumas, that doesn't produce international rugby players. It it's just rugby players are produced by, in the Premiership. It did. And Joe Cock and a singer wasn't the next best player because he hadn't actually played a single Premiership game when he on that tour. So it was a and where team. is he now? Well, well, but he's still potentially a great player, but he's but he's been so injured the last two years that he hasn't been able to show it. Well, every time I've seen him, he hasn't had anything remotely like a great player, Slotty. Well, but Steve, do you do you think that you're, you, the point you were making in that piece and and um, you're sort of hinting at here subtly is <laughs> is that that these players who didn't make it, Billy Vunapola, should be there because he's the best in his position. But we've had so many discussions over the last couple of years, probably four years, about Billy, he's not been at his best. And England have, have waited and waited and waited. And they they played him the whole way through a World Cup in the hope that we would see that that Billy Vunipola who was picked for the Lions tour in 2017 when I think he was absolutely at his peak. And and it, and it never happened. And and, and you're, are you saying that that this the team that has, has lost the, the belief and faith of the fans should just be stuck with because... They're the most senior, experienced players. Well, you either you either leave them all out on the naughty step, including Owen Farrell, who's actually been equally, and if not more, ineffective than Billy. But just to, just to kick three people out is just utter childishness. And say, oh, well, they might be back if they improve. That's not how to treat international rugby players. And people like Billy and Mako Vunipola, first of all, they always play better when they're both in the same team, uh, which is inconvenient for England. But just to just to pick so many people to try and make an example of them, especially George Ford, who's on magnificent form, is just pathetic. It's it's just schoolboy, school playground childishness. So I mean that that's a fascinating call that one on George Ford because he's playing brilliantly, but they do have Marcus Smith who they want to play as well, and I I sense that, that the idea of having Ford and Farrell both there in an England squad would actually make it harder for Marcus Smith to. To, to, to be given his head, to take a leadership role, to actually... Alex, to it should be hard for Marcus Smith to, to, to be given his head. He, he's So far, he's played 
off the front foot in, in some games where it was necessary. He's not remotely shown that he's an international rugby player yet. International rugby player is different. He should be made to fight like mad for his place. Do you not think he's he's doing that through his performances? My, my, my point back to you is that once he's in the camp, if, if you want to get the best out of a player who could potentially be the quarterback of this team to lead the team, make be a senior player in the leadership group and on and off the field, that that to inhibit him by making one of three would actually make you, you'd get less benefit of, of having him in the camp. Well, if there's if there's three people, then everyone's in, 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 inhibited. It is time he made up his mind about the fly half. Okay, whether it's Smith or or, or whatever, it's the time he made up his mind, not kept keep on shuffling the pack. My, but I, this this um, conversation's sounding a, a bit as if Alex and I are defending Eddie's great squad, and and and, and we're on opposing sides to Steve on this. Which um, I, I, there's t- tons about the squad and Eddie's selection that, I, that is, is baffling. It, so the thing the thing that gets me is that is that he has started to invest in new players, but but then he withdraws the investment, like Ben Earl, for instance. You know, he invested. Uh, a, a year and a half, a year and a half, yeah, mm. a year and a half's worth in, in Ben Earl, and 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 I thought that he was getting some return on it. So why why stop there? Uh, um, he he invested a year in Ollie Thorley as as the new uh, as the great new young sort of bustling winger, but Ollie Thorley's not sort of a, not worth investing anymore, and, and Lewis Line is the sort of the the, the next of that caliber. So I, you know, I I'm all for uh, Eddie spotting bright talent and then backing it, but. I mean, it's his scrum half policy in, in particular shows that he he might see something he likes, but he can't stick with it. And that's where I think the danger is. Oh, and it goes back to the whole run of people. Tamana Harrison, Paul Hill, all the people who were meant to come in and be brilliant and then were discarded and actually probably had their their, their, their confidence wrecked. And look, I'm sorry, um, but you keep, I keep on looking at people saying this is good old Eddie. And I think, hang on, where did they finish in the last Six Nations? humiliatingly and I'm afraid that th- th- this is the national rugby team and just like a political journalist with the government I'm going to harry him till they start getting results remotely as good as the standard of what England rugby should be. Steve you've talked so long on England that you've managed to talk us out of our segment on the North London derby so that filibustering effort was was very successful on, on your part. I knew that would work. <laughs> um, right, let's wrap up. God of God or Goddess of the Week. Um, I know everyone thinks about this in advance, so I'm sure it's on the tip of your tongues, Slotty. I'm so glad you came to me first. This is the the, the most obvious choice of yeah. the week, and someone had to say it. So I I I, I would be delighted to um, uh, anoint my. Do we anoint them? Appoint them? Um, recommend them? Exalt, my my god, Exalt. my my goddess of the week is um, Sarah Cox, who um, was the first female referee in a Premiership game ever, and that is just a wonderful statement for the game. And um, praise be, may there be many more like that. Um, uh, what a um, a path finder she is. You'll do well to beat that one, I think. Yeah, I mean, how am I supposed to disagree with that? That's he's bang on. That's exactly who I was going to say, but uh, but. You know, I'll just cover. I'll, I'll cover my uh, countrymen. Darcy Graham's double at the weekend for Edinburgh in a, in a cracking game against Scarlets. I think he deserves some praise, but obviously, Slotty's right. Can I just say something else about that? About 
uh, her refereeing of that game. It's one of the great things about it is there was so little coverage afterwards. I mean, there, there was a lot of people, a lot of little pictures in the paper going, oh, look, that, that's the first time a, a, a woman has refereed a, a premiership game. But there was so little debate about her decisions or, or this or that, which, which norm, normally happens. And when, that, when that's the case, that is uh, a success. It's a statement of success. Steve? I, uh, the two good ones there. Darcy Graham's try, uh, I, I caught, was absolutely sensational, uh, Al. And uh, obviously, Sarah Cox, Slotty, um, can't argue with that. I am going to have one of my own, though, and it's Dan Robson. Um, Dan Robson uh, is, is meant to be at the veteran stage now, but the way he dominated uh, Andy Ewer and Harry Randall um, on Saturday at the CBC Stadium um, <laughs> it, it, it was sensational. And... Um, you know, the, 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 Urine and uh, Rand are tremendous players, but he was, um, Robson was at them all the time and uh, just bossed the game absolutely regal and uh, should have won many more caps. So we've got three contenders there. It's all down to you, Arthur. Good effort, guys, there on on promoting Dan Robson and Darcy Graham. But Slotty's right. There is only one winner of uh, God or Goddess of the Week, and it is the Goddess of the Week, Sarah Cox. So congratulations. To her being anointed, exalted, however, whatever we do with it. We we were one point going to have a, a, a we we're going to make a god of the goddess of the week mug or t-shirt or something to send to them. So should too. To, we to need have something to be We proud definitely of. need merch. We need some ruck merch. Should all have our own t-shirts. That's why and... they go into the game, isn't it? So they could become a, a god or yeah. Goddess so Chris, Christoph Ridley's like half. He's appeared on the ruck, which is yeah. Which is, he could get a t-shirt, but or or you could save all the money and have an open top bus parade at the end of the season <laughs> with all the gods, with and, all goddesses. The gods and goddesses oh, on I it. Like yeah. that big party. But just on Dan Robson Jones, I'm glad you mentioned him. I, I I think that he might be the great international that we know absolutely nothing about. I think his international career is going to fizzle out because Eddie won't back him, and we will never know how good he could have been because he needs. That's a player that needs support, confidence, regular picking. Just as he has with Wasps, and look how he flourishes, and it's not going to happen for him. Yeah, and it's such a shame. Well, that was another episode of The Ruck where sadly we withheld too many opinions, <laughs> weren't argumentative enough. So we'll we'll try and up our game for next week. Thank you all for joining us. Please subscribe or follow from wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be back in a week's time, back in the studio. Hopefully, Steve will have found some petrol by then, and we'll be reunited. 